The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirod. Today, we welcome a new interviewer to the Bain Free Radio Hour. Jeremy Como is the creator, producer, and host for the Chris Kennedy Publishing YouTube channel, a channel devoted to everything CKP, book launches, topics of sci-fi, fantasy, military sci-fi, space opera, and much more. We're excited to have him as part of the team here on the podcast. For his first outing, he talked with D. DJ Butler about the latest Indrajit and Fix book, Between Princesses and Other Jobs, which is out now in hardcover and all your favorite ebook formats. The Indrajit and Fix series has a buddy cop feel set on the planet Kish, a sort of Moss Eisley Cantina writ large. The series debut was in the Palace of Shadow and Joy, which is out now in mass market paperback and ebook, but you needn't have read it that first entry to enjoy Between Princesses and Other Jobs. The interview is in just a moment, but first, the news. Well, speaking of Indrajit and Fix, head on over to Bain.com and read this month's short story, which features the duo. It's called A Lesson to Those Who Survive. Indrajit and Fix are two friends trying to make a living on the planet Kish. As such, they're part of a jobber team known as the Protagonists. It's not exactly a dream job, but it pays the bills. But when the pair is hired on as part of a team of protagonists to win their way through an ancient mausoleum in search of lost treasure, they find themselves caught in the middle of a family squabble that might turn deadly. That's A Lesson to Those Who Survive by DJ Butler, free to read at Bain.com. And that's it for the news. Welcome to another episode of Bain Free Radio Hour. I am your host, Jeremy Como. Joining me today is Mr. DJ Butler, uh, writer of adventure stories for all, all readers. He has been a lawyer, a consultant, a corporate trainer. He's interested, his interests include languages, guitar, hanging out with his wife and kids, uh, astronomy, and history. Welcome, DJ. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Well, um, before we uh, go too far, what we're here to talk about today is your latest release out now on uh, hard copy and EPUB uh, edition uh, between princesses and other jobs. Now, uh, I've, I've read it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you letting me talk to you about it here today. But before we go too far, uh, let's uh, tell people where they can find you online. Yeah, so uh, in terms of social media, the place where I'm most accessible is on Twitter, uh, at David John Butler. Um, uh, you can also follow me on Amazon if you want to uh, keep track of my releases. Um, I've got a website at davidjohnbutler.com, which, um, in, I put up a website back in the day when, when what they said to all the writers was, you have to have a website. Uh, uh, they weren't completely eclipsed by social media, but to a large degree, social media became where people posted sort of, you know, um, time-sensitive daily kind of content as opposed to like in a blog for most of us, right? 
Uh, but the website's a good place to sort of see what I've published. Um, uh, a great place to stay in contact with me is my, or a great way is my uh, mailing list. Uh, you can, it, my Twitter bio has the mailing list link. You can also go to the website and, and there's a link to sign up for the mailing list. I typically send an email out every Monday and uh, m multiple times a year give away big piles of free books to people. So even if you're like, this guy Dave is a little bit boring, but maybe I want free books by other people, you still might want to go sign up for my uh, mailing list. Yes, yes. Well, I wouldn't call you boring. I just finished reading uh, this book and I was highly entertained and uh, I'm interested in jumping into that with you. Um, and uh, and I do encourage people to sign up for uh, for his newsletter because if you if you might miss something uh, on social media. So uh, every time I do uh, a podcast, I always encourage people to sign up for the newsletter for your favorite publishers, for your favorite authors uh, and follow and like and rate on Amazon. It really helps the authors out. So uh, make sure you do that. Um, so, like I said, we're here to talk about uh, princess uh, between princesses and other jobs. Um, now, this is book two uh, in this series. Is that correct? It, it is. Book, it is book two. And the, the titling scheme of the series requires the preposition. Book one originally, when I submitted it, was called the uh, Palace of Sorrow and Joy. And mm -hmm. Tony hated the word sorrow, but she mm -hmm. was okay if I changed it to shadow. But then she wanted a preposition in the Palace of Shadow and Joy. But once you've got a, a title that distinctive, you have to sort of, the, the, the titles of the other books have to match. There has to be a scheme, yeah. right? Or at least yeah. it's, it's aesthetically pleasing and tactically advantageous. So book. So the series title, the book's uh, title starts preposition. So between princesses and other jobs is out now in July of 2023, and early next year, uh, the next book is called Among the Grey Lords, and uh, that's already uh, basically in the can and ready to go. Awesome, um, and so. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, but uh, how did you come up with the title besides beginning with the preposition? Yeah, so the series is about two guys. Think, you know, in, in fantasy literature, the, the, uh, the model for them, the predecessor is Fawford and the Grey Mouser. Mm -hmm. um, so they're buddies. They are of necessity... Uh, uh, men of action, although uh, and 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 even even they risk borderline being thugs, right? They're swordsmen, um, but not, neither one of them really wants to be that. Uh, Indrajit Twang is the four hundred twenty seventh recital thane of his people. He's an epic poet. He has mm -hmm. memorized uh, the epic epithets uh, and the plots to be able to at the drop of a hat, spill out 30,000 lines of epic poetry, including uh, dramatic performance, voices, and posture, right? Mm -hmm. um, sadly, his people are uh, on the verge of going extinct. Nobody's interested in hearing the epic of this dying people. Uh, and so his, 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 what he wants, his quest, is to find an apprentice who will uh, take his place. Uh, Fix uh, is... Um, Fix was raised in an ashrama in a in a in a, in a monastery 
uh, of Salish Bozar the White, the god of useless knowledge, and fix uh, whose, whose devotees, the trivials, and, and the priests, the selfless, um, uh, uh, put into effect their devotion by mastering useless bodies of information. Right. <laughs> At one point, there's this conversation, but, uh, but in fact, there's there's a series of stories in this in this um, in this collection that are about Salish Bozar specifically. At one point, there's a conversation. I can't recall if it's in this or in book one about you know well what constitutes perfect knowledge and or, or perfectly useless knowledge. And mm-hmm. uh, as an example, this guy who has memorized books and books and books. Um, in a language not only does he not understand, but nobody understands, right? Like he can mm-hmm. reproduce every character, every line. Nobody knows what it means, right? Uh, if one day somebody were able to translate and read those characters, his entire body of knowledge might suddenly become useful. And that would raise the question of whether he was then still a, a sufficiently devout adept of Salish Bozar. So, so Fix grew up in this environment, um, and uh, and fell in love, uh, and uh, he's still in love, and and she is not nice to him. Uh, and in book one and two, we don't we don't see her on the stage; we just kind of hear about her. Uh, and and Fix is trying. Fix, in a way, is has flipped 180 degrees and wants to be uh, a man of useful knowledge. Uh, so uh, he's got a more kind of worldly, in, Indrajit's knowledge, his education is all this kind of epic and poetic and heroic, whereas Fix understands things like how the stock market works mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and, 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 and things of that nature, right? Um, and so it's sort, of a, it's sort of a bard, if you want to think about this in terms of D&D classes, it's kind of like an epic heroic bard. And and a, a and a monk, who are both forced to kind of make this living. The setting is this dirty, corrupt, dangerous old city, former imperial capital, where these guys are trying to, what what they want to do. Right here's the title. I am answering your question. Here's mm-hmm. the title. What they want to do is rescue princesses, whether mm-hmm. it's fixes specific. Like we princess, all do. Yeah. Yeah. Who's like actually married another guy now? Right. And uh, uh, or whether it's Indrajit's just more general wanting to be a hero and live a heroic life, what they mm-hmm. want to do is rescue princesses. What they have to do is various kinds of jobs to make a living, right? Mm-hmm. And in a sense, this is a this is a story about these two guys with this ethos, this orientation, trying to stay honorable, right, while also being formidable and effective at this kind of, uh, you know, pseudo law enforcement, but somewhat also sometimes rogues uh, career. uh, Mm -hmm. So, and, and they're, they're an odd couple. And, uh, but that's also what, what makes it, makes it great. Um, But they're also there for one another. You know, it's like about the guy uh, on the side of you, you know, and uh, which I really enjoy. I love the buddy, uh, buddy, whatever. Like even when I listen to podcasts, if it's one guy just talking, I'm bored. But it's two guys joking around, having a good time, uh, maybe getting a little angry at each other. That's a good time. I can I can sink my teeth into that. You know, 
uh, and it's the same thing with books when you've got a, whether it's a buddy comedy or buddy adventure. Well, this is a little bit of both because you put a lot of comedy into this, and and I I, I enjoy that. Um, is but sorry, a long question. Where uh, how do they come together? And and yeah. I'm sure that's in the first book. Well, how do they bond? Uh, yeah. Uh... The uh, the first book um, in the Palace of Shadow and Joy uh, opens up with uh, Indrajit uh, uh, getting shaken down for a debt he owes. He's he's uh, uh, in debt to uh, a risk merchant, which is to say an insurance broker, because he mm -hmm. took a job basically breaking legs for the insurance broker. And he's bad at it. And he now he owes money to the broker because he doesn't want to break anybody's legs. Not really. And uh, so he kind of wasted the money and that he earned and can't pay it back and didn't do the job. So um, he gets he gets summoned uh, uh, back to the uh, back to the broker and uh, and and fixes there. And they are both put on a job. And uh, and the broker has reasons to be upset at both of them. Uh, mm -hmm. He's unhappy with Fix because Fix, trying to make a living, has set himself up as an uh, as an off registry risk merchant. So Fix is illegally competing with his uh, uh, with his boss, right? And so the plot of book one uh, is. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like a double indemnity if the protagonists are Fawford and the Grey Mouser, and the whole thing plays out in the most Eisley Cantina, blown up to the size of New York. So it's the, <laughs> it's it's an it's a it's a setup. Like they're actually supposed to be the Patsies, and they're in fact supposed to die. Is what's mm -hmm. supposed to happen um, in this uh, murder scheme? It's all about the the way power and wealth are distributed uh, in this um, uh, in this city. So it's it's in book one that they make friends, and 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 the way, well, the way power and wealth are distributed, right? So the city of Kish is an old imperial capital. Um, it, it's got a kind of a Vancian uh, feel to it in some ways, or sometimes kind of a borderline Star Wars feel to it. There's a there's a proverbial thousand races of man in this setting. Uh, what the what the characters don't know is that in their past, there's a gene war that was fought on this planet that resulted in all kinds of super soldiers being created who then bred and became the various races of man. Right? They don't see this or talk about it. They just see people who look like frogs and have three sexes. Or are large and blue skinned uh, with one pair of arms that's invisible, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or uh, or uh, the, the sexless guns who are big white uh, who have uh, multiple eyes, uh, uh, three pairs of eyes, uh, and to avoid going insane, they scratch out two pairs of eyes during the gun's childhood, and they've got a, a like a like a a cluster of insectoid limbs sprouting out of the back of their shoulders, right? Like, like it looks like Star Wars, but in a sword and sandals kind of setting. And and the 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 power 
mechanic I was kind of talking about in the um, a minute ago. Like what what it what is it that drives the plot of book one is uh, when the last emperor died. Uh, seven seven of his principal servants basically seized control together, and their descendants rule as the seven great families of Kish, and they have they have titles that go back to the job they did at the time, right? So there's like the Lord Stargazer and the Lord Marshal and and the Lord Archer, uh, and uh, uh, and the Lord Chamberlain, and um. Now what they do is the the uh, city of Kish does not have a permanent government. Uh, it has an auction house, and uh, tasks are auctioned off mostly to the seven families, although sometimes to other people, um, kind of on the model of Roman tax farming. So... Um, hey, I, you know, I will undertake to uh, provide security on the holy days to these neighborhoods. Fine. And uh, I win the auction. I pay for that right. And then I go and I make money back by shaking down all of the pilgrims when they want to pass through the gate. Right. So, uh, so, so the city is full of what are called jobber companies or jobbers in the stories, which are mercenaries. This old, huge, decadent city full of mercenaries sitting on top of the archaeological tell, the, the ruin heap of its former selves, which is, in, which is functionally speaking a massive dungeon um, um, under, underneath its feet, right? So, so, yeah, that's book one. The two uh, become friends. And the stories are, to a significant degree, driven by, by banter. Uh, you know, these guys, I mean, this is, this, is, this is a way that men often interact, right? You mm -hmm. get to know each other and kind of test limits and figure each other out. Even when you're just, even, no, not in every setting and not with every person, right? But, but by, you know, little jabs. Um, Some trash, yeah. Yeah, talking trash, right? Talking smack, a little bit, little, little humorous jokes, um, and and often the dynamic is like the longer you've known someone, the more you're able to to tell withering jokes at their expense and take withering jokes from them. And that's these guys, right? So they're going around having every story is an adventure. You know, it's it's a mystery or it's a, a you know it's a quest. Uh, um, but uh, but every every story is also a conversation between these two guys mm -hmm. about what they are doing, and they are constantly jabbing at each other. Um, so they're that's so I, they're running jokes. Yeah, that's what I enjoyed about it. Uh, it's just because uh, I I come from a family of six boys, mm. and that that was life. You know we. We beat the hell out of each other uh, with our hands and our words, and and you know, and, and that's how it was. And it was, uh, and and that kind of brought that back to because they they almost seem like brothers, even though they're so you know so opposite of one another. Um, now you you mentioned uh, you know their organization as, or as jobbers. Uh, what made you call them the protagonists? They debate this over the course of the first book. By the way, I, I'm the oldest child. I have uh, four brothers. I have a sister. She was born last. So she's, I love my sister. 
she was eight. I was 18 when she was born. So it's like almost like she's not in the same family. Like that's not mm-hmm, quite right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't grow up with her, right? I grew up with five brothers. So yeah, mm-hmm. that same dynamic, like I get it. Um, and that is a good way to think of it. These guys absolutely save each other again and again, take a wound for each other, right? No problem. Also give each other hell over, you know, you're short, you have a silly voice, your head looks like a fish, right? Uh, no yeah. one wants to hear your silly thing, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, 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 they debate the name. They kind of, during the course of book one, they're feeling each other out. Maybe we should do that. This is working well. We should maybe kind of, I don't know, we could partner up. And, you know, what would we call each other uh, or what we call, call ourselves? Um, and so, and, and, you know, the protagonist reflects, reflects their desire. Well, so first of all, the word is ambiguous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because one meaning for protagonist is somebody who fights on behalf of somebody else. So a protagonist is, is a word that can mean, has been used to mean, uh, like a duelist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm going to fight on behalf of my client. Um, but uh, of course, in, in 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 literary theory, it means the hero, right? Yeah. So uh, so that's that's the deliberate that's the that's the ambiguity, the sort of on which they want to hang their hats. Like, man, we want to be the heroes. Do we have to fight for someone else? We we do. They end up basically in the pay of uh, Orem Thrush, the Lord Chamberlain, who is um, not an especially nice person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but the, you know, they, uh, they basically end up going after people who are worse than them. Uh, right. So it's, uh, they, they can kind of maintain some level of honor or decency. What they want is to be rescuing princesses. Right. And so when, when, when the opportunity arises to do that, uh, in, in the context of their in employment or otherwise, uh, they'll 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 do it at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we keep on saying, you know, the story. So uh, for people who, who haven't bought the book, which why haven't you? But uh, uh, it is it's not a typical book in that it is a collection of short stories uh, with like a novella ish at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is what. And- uh, sometimes has been called a fix-up novel. So there are 10 short stories in a novella. And the short stories were all uh, previously published various places. Uh, Bain's website, uh, a couple of Bain anthologies. Um, I want to say four or five of them were published. Like the largest number were published uh, by uh, Chris Kennedy's fantasy imprint, New Mythos, New Mythology. New Mythology. New Mythology with editor Rob Howell. Uh, I think one of them was published by Hemeline, uh, Joe Monston, the editor. Um, so uh, as, so the, the, the shorts were all previously published, although I think probably people who have read the novel, the first novel, have not necess- were not necessarily aware of the shorts coming out afterwards. Um, but even if they were, even if you re- had bought all 10 of those anthologies, or it's not 10, all nine of those anthologies and read the one on the website and mm-hmm. printed it out, put into your binder, there is a new, um, there is a new novella 
called the Politics of Wizards, yeah. uh, in which Indrajit and Fix go up against, or that's not quite right, get get more deeply involved than they would like uh, in a battle among uh, several of Kish's uh, uh, powerful magicians. Yeah. Uh, so through these, uh, you uh, kind of dipped your toe into some different universes by uh, writing some of these short stories, one of them being uh, the 4HU, uh, writing about the Depic, or including the Depic in your, in your story and everything. Um, are there any universes that you would like to see these guys in that you, that you haven't done yet? Yeah, that's the only one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, Casey and Marisa did an interview, did a, an anthology of stories, um, set in the, the, uh, Chris County publishing 4HU, uh, with the four horsemen universe, um, which is basically military SF. It's military SF. It's got a little bit of a, um, furry edge in that it has things like big purple bears, uh, mm-hmm. and, and cat assassins, Marisa and Casey. Um, I don't, I, I'm going to, I don't know who, which of them originated this, but between them somehow they're responsible for this, uh, this species of vicious assassin cats. They look like house cats. Um, but, uh, yes, called the Depic. And so I was invited to write a short story. They invited me to submit a short story. Um, and I said, well, are you okay if we do a tie-in? So there's this story, I think it's called Paths of the Hunter, uh, and um, it's about basically a, uh, uh, a, a pair of depics. Uh, there's, there's a lost kitten, and there's a hunter that has come to rescue the kitten, is what really this mm-hmm. is all about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so the direct answer to your question is that's the only one that's a tie into anybody else's universe, and I don't plan to do others. But but the larger answer <laughs> is um, I is that it might happen, and and the reason why is um, there. Look, this setting was original. Look at the setting. Okay, um, there are like a thousand a thousand races of man. Uh, there's like this super old corrupt city full of violence and uh, crime sitting on top of a hundred layer deep dungeon. Like this setting was designed to have lots of people write in it or, or tell stories by playing tabletop role playing or other games, right? Like by design, that's what this is for. Um, that is, uh, that, and I, I, I think you don't know maybe. Jeremy, what I'm about to tell you, um, it's not really like this might be the most public place where it's been said. Um, mm-hmm. Just recently, on my Discord server, I have a Discord server. It's very active. If you follow me on Twitter uh, or email me through my website, I can add you to it. Um, on my Discord server, uh, more or less spontaneously, like. Mat, like mice being born out of a pile of rags in the corner of the room. The mm-hmm. idea arose that there should be a game uh, book for this setting. And so that is happening. Like that came out of, like many interesting things in my life, kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, just recently. 
So we're working on, it's going to be a system agnostic game setting. Uh, in other words, uh, here's a book. Do you want to play uh, D&D in this setting? Well, here's a PDF talking about how to make that work. And then the book is full of all kinds of information. It doesn't have like character classes or whatever. It's not game data. It's everything else. It's like information on the locations and the history and how to tell stories here and whatever. Um, but hey, maybe you like the hero system. You like GURPS. You like Savage Worlds. Uh, one of the one of the um, game systems we're going to produce a, a little guide for is Traveler, because there's no reason you couldn't put this plant, this city, this planet, into a Traveler story, right? You could have a Traveler campaign where you could say, like, well, our characters are, you know, former GDICO employees, and we're whistleblowers about the illegal psionics program. Uh, and now we're fleeing both GDICO assassins and, you know, Imperial law enforcement. And we're hiding down here in this crazy city with a thousand different alien races. And we've only got, you know, four energy cells for our guns. Right. <laughs> um, absolutely is a kind of story that could be told in this setting um, with with a game or in or in a short story uh right uh, uh or otherwise um so so no plans would it, but what is it possible it, it's absolutely possible and in mm -hmm. fact we're gonna we're working on a book to empower um people to do uh exactly that um and and this is this leads me to kind of a related point but by the way you're gonna find jeremy that some authors you have to really pry words out of them, like to make them talk. <laughs> and I'm not one of them. So it, I will say. I've had a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, of, course, of course you have. So um, so I say the book is sword and sorcery. I think a better way to think about it is that it sort of appears to be sword and sorcery or it mm -hmm. reads sword and sorcery. And what I mean is um, it is unclear even at the end of book three, which comes out in, you know, January of next year, if there really is magic as we think of it in this setting, um, this is one of the things the characters debate from time to time. It was one of the ongoing subjects in book one that comes up again in book two from time to time. Like, is, is there actually magic? So, um, in book one, very specifically, everything that sort of appears to be magic is actually strange biology. So I'll, I'll give you, um, I'll give you maybe at least one example. Okay, the, there's a, they're going into the opera house. Their job is to protect this opera singer. They don't realize they're being set up to take the fall for a crime, and they see another jobber company there and, and they're not jobbers they're just like two guys they're just like hired thugs right but there's like a jobber company there with like uniforms and the whole deal um and they have a uh they have a big um uh this jobber company has this big grow conk which is a, they have a female grow conk and uh they're they're sort of frog people and and they Indrajit, through his heroic poetry, his epic poetry paradigm, um, has as epic epithets about them, and the, and talks about their famous 
or their magical ability to be to be unsurprisable. They can see people coming even from behind them. It's a psychic power. It's magic. Um, and there is a uh, and, and there's a you know and, and there's a smaller grokonk which he says and that's male. Um, well, it turns out the grokonk uh, does see behind her, but the reason she does is because the tall the, the thin one with her is not male. It's actually a sexless uh, so-called third. It's a male that fell off the back of the female uh, and then matured to a greater height. Her back is covered with her mates. She has some just like nipples all over her back. And, <laughs> and she has she has little her mates, the males look like tadpoles. And they're just stuck all over her back and they're feeding off her, but they're also like fertilizing her through the same kind of organ, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or orifice, maybe it's not an organ. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, uh, my apologies if anyone's squeamish and now feeling ill. But the point is, like her back looks like it's kind of just sort of a heap of jelly, but it's got a bunch of males in it who can see. And so if someone comes to attack the female, they respond, and mm -hmm. she knows something's happening behind her, right? So it is weird biology, but like it's interpreted as magic. Uh, and even through the story, uh, the... Uh, politics of wizards, you know, it, is it is it the case that some some of what we're seeing clearly is technology? Mm -hmm. Maybe all of what we're seeing is technology or strange biology, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so arguably, the Indrajit and Fick stories are actually science fiction. Mm -hmm. They're actually about these two guys, and yes, they fight with swords. Or in Fix's case, a sword, a spear, an axe, a falchion, a dagger, whatever comes to hand, right? Um, but they live in a universe where there are not really spells. It's that some people have laser guns or super exotic biological abilities and others uh, others don't. Yeah. Um, which is a lot of fun to write. Um, yeah. And if you're a game master or if you were to write a story for an anthology one day, you can make up your own race of weird things that do something biologically weird or your own ancient technology and it'll fit right into the setting. That's awesome. The the inter the interactive part I believe is gonna be really fun in, in this universe. Um so speaking of uh you know fun characters and everything, do you do you have a character that you wrote that was really fun for you to create or write, whether it's a, just a, a throwaway character or a main character or, or anything like that? Um, well, I love all of them. The, the main characters are both all of my main characters, maybe, but Ooh. certainly both of these guys are in some sense a reflection of me, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I feel I feel great affection for them. Um, they get joined by a Keon about halfway through these stories, which is a dog-headed man. Mm -hmm. uh, I was hoping you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, Munahin. Uh, he's, he's fun. The story with him opens with him warning them that if he gets excited, he might eat his species, and he doesn't want them to be shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 
obviously this is like a sort of it's it's not the only one but it's one of several i've written it's a sort of a personification of my own dog and my mm-hmm. experience with growing up with dogs right and munahim is uh is everything you'd think about a humanoid dog like he's got a great sense of smell and hearing mm-hmm. um he's loyal uh he's got a lot of stamina he's not necessarily the most imaginative right uh, and he's and he's uh, his his pack ran out on the step oh, far away from the city. And so he's still sort of trying to get his arms around just what a cynical, uh, you know, uh, place place this is. So one of the uh, this is one of the kind of the running jokes. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a sort of proverbial, uh, not quite a joke, but a way of talking uh you know uh in the city welcome to kish and then some kind of really cynical part b mm-hmm. right uh welcome to kish lock up your daughter or something mm-hmm. right like, mm-hmm. uh and so his kind of adjusting to that and trying to learn it is 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 one of the uh um one of the running running gags he's also the only character as of the end of book three, he's the only one who's carried the point of view other than Indrajit and Fix. I, actually, other than Indrajit, Fix has never been the point of view character. It's yeah. Indrajit, but there's one short story uh, called Good Boy from uh, uh, Munahim's perspective mm-hmm. when his bosses get kidnapped and he uh, uh, he uh, he has to go rescue them. So it's fun thinking about, you know, through some of these stories, like how does the story work when one of the characters can talk but also has the sense of smell of a dog right mm-hmm. um he might eat his own poop <laughs> and might eat his own poop or other kind of like awful things uh, uh book three in particular a lot of it happens in under Kish. it happens beneath the city and we see that in book one we see that in a couple of stories we really see it in book three um and having someone who doesn't rely on light to get around is turns out to be uh, a pretty great advantage but one of my i like a lot of the minor characters though uh like the the risk merchant in in book one uh who who employs both these guys is named uh uh tisa fernes holy pot and he has uh two faces on the on his one head has two faces and he keeps one of them veiled at all times uh and it appears and through the veil it appears to be a feminine face um and he's got a bit of a speech impairment where he says bees like peas <laughs> uh and so there's one point where one of them says to the other is it possible that we're misunderstanding him and his name isn't holy pot at all it's holy bot <laughs> and we're just you know right so uh He's he's a lot of fun and very nefarious. In this book, I really like there's a there's a there's a character I like so much I brought him back for book three, named Jackster Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where do these characters' names come from? By the way, the like the in the three books there are basically four places where people get their names from. Okay, some of them are Indian names like Indraji. Uh, some of them are Ugaritic. Uh, which is an ancient Syrian city. It's like in space and time, it's ancient Israel's closest neighbor. Like 
13th century BC Syria. Okay, so Munahim is the same word as Menachem, like a modern Hebrew name, but like it's the Ugaritic version from mm. 3,400 years ago. Um, there are a few characters who have Greek or sort of fake Greek names. Um, and then there's a bunch of characters who basically have Star Wars names. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like we're just trying to sound cool. Uh, Jackster Boom is one of them. Mm -hmm. And um, they meet him in a story about halfway-ish through this collection. And then he becomes important again in book three. Um, they meet him in a story because they're trying to find somebody. They, that what they believe is they're tracking a thief, okay? And the thief is being held prisoner by a fence uh, and named Jackster Boom in one of the city's worst districts. Um, now, in some sense, every, every district of the city has a claim to be the worst because they're all awful in some way or another. But the dregs is the one that is just unredeemable like uh it's just a cesspit of crime and uh drugs and violence there's no trade that goes on there you know other outside of those things um it is just brutal relentless dark uh, it's where fix lived as a boy when well, he was he was orphaned before he was picked up uh, by the ashrama and raised to be a trivial of Salish Bozar the White. Um, and Jackster Boom is a fence there. And so when they go down into Jackster Boom's uh, lair, they see, a, they see a glass tank full of water, and they see, um, I think it's a young woman and a young man, or two young men, Mm -hmm. Stand to either side of the tank on these short blocks, just kind of wearing just like rags and looking kind of glassy eyed, right? And they're they're kind of standing there going, Well, who's you know, where's Jackster Boom? And then suddenly a giant eyeball presses itself against mm -hmm. the glass, and two tentacles reach over the top and insert themselves into the back of the heads uh of these two young people who then begin to speak in unison the words of Jackster Boom, right? And it turns out that his nickname, the Puppeteer, does not come from him being a fence with, you know, lots of people doing his bidding. It comes from the fact that he's basically this octopus thing that lives in a tank and parasitically invades the skulls of other creatures to control their vocal cords to be able to talk. And... Uh, so I like that. It's gross. He's pretty bad, uh, and uh, so I brought him back for. He's in a story in this in this in this novel, and I brought him back for book three uh, as well. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I particularly liked that story because it was gross, yeah, and and the action in it was pretty good too. I I, I enjoyed enjoyed the action without giving anything away. It was, it was a good action scene. Um, and uh, but uh, I, I'm really glad that you uh, uh, brought up the doll character because that one that was a favorite of mine too. I, I, really, <laughs> I really enjoy because because I have dogs and I can relate. I'm always fussing yeah. at my dogs for eating your shit. Uh, yeah. And um, 
but I also enjoy so now uh, before I go too far the, unlike Star Wars in a galaxy far far away a long time ago this is into the distant future correct so yeah so this is actually none of the characters know this but I haven't been especially secretive about it this is actually meant to be earth in the distant future Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. There there are a few hints, more in book one than in the stories, but there are a few hints, uh, and a few hints only that give away that, oh, wow, this is, uh, yeah, this is actually Earth. And uh, another thing I enjoyed were the, uh, uh, at least one pop culture uh, Easter egg uh, in, in there uh, from, uh, you know, old TV show. Uh, without you know, without giving it away, but uh, it was it, it was fun. It's like, oh, I know what that is. You know, it's it's fun to find those things uh, yeah. in in there. And so, uh, the the comedy, the action, uh, the the pseudo magic uh, things like that is very very entertaining, and I, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm excited to read more about it. Um, speaking of, so uh, we're gonna have book three. Can we? And that's coming out in January. Can we expect more? Well, I hope. You know, uh, book one um, came out in July of 2020, which was just an absolutely awful time for a book to launch. People were mm. in lockdown. They had lost their jobs. They were worried about losing their jobs. Right? They were dealing with sick loved ones. They were, uh, you know, uh, being browbeaten to stay inside and shut up and and it was it was a terrible time and um and and book one frankly didn't get the audience that i hoped it would so we're putting out book two and book three um and and uh, doing some marketing and like i said we're gonna we my not bane we my my discord friends are gonna put out uh a, a game book um and the hope is to drive enough audience that we can write more um, I can at least write, you know, short stories. They make great. Uh, well, I should say, I think as of when this airs, there should be a short story about them called uh, "Ooh for the for the edification of those who remain" or something like that mm-hmm. up on the up on the Bain website, um, and uh, and another one coming kind of soonish in an anthology. Um, so I think if nothing else, I will probably continue to write short stories and, and eventually collect those. But I, but I hope I do get to write more, um, more novels. It's, it's not the kind of story. There's no, there's no Sauron, right? There's not a dark Lord who needs to be defeated, but the characters do have ongoing quests. Indrajit is looking for an apprentice. And I would like to get to the story that, um, that resolves that. Uh, Fix is lives a life of unrequited love, and that actually plays a big part in book three, but doesn't really resolve his his need to sort of be a man of love, to to to, to be a lover, right? So, uh, knock on wood, if they sell well enough, if uh, Tony uh, continues to be kind to me, uh, then I hope there will be more. Um, there, you're not going to end this book or book three on a cliffhanger going, Oh, what happens next? Cause they're not that kind of book, mm-hmm. but they are the kind of book that 
until I kill the characters, which I don't intend to do, uh, there can always be more stories. That's awesome. No, they're, they're great characters. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, one, one last question. Um, so the, the first book came out before the short stories, which you, at, at least from what I've seen, usually, you know, somebody will put a short story in an anthology and a, and a book will come from that. Um, but in, in this case, the book came out first, you started writing the short stories. Was it always your uh, thought to uh, collect these short stories and turn them into a book or did it just kind of happen that way? I, I did think I would. I actually thought there was a pretty good chance I was going to have to self-publish them. But then mm-hmm. I, I went ahead and, and wrote the uh, uh, wrote the novella and pitched it all to Tony as a fix-up novel, and she went for it, which makes me very happy. And it works chronologically as a novel because this is entirely after book one and entirely mm-hmm. before book three so you you know you don't have to read them and be like oh but i remember this story happens before like no it's they read like three novels back to back to back yeah. in, uh, in sequence yeah it was uh like i said i'm and i'm not just sucking up it's a good read i uh i recommend it to everybody now and future uh people watching the podcast uh go buy it it's out now in uh hardback and uh every version of epub uh go check it out and if you uh, if you could tolerate my voice, you can catch me out on uh, in YouTube land and, and Chris Kennedy Publishing. I do a regular podcast there, but that's enough about me. Um, and uh, DJ, so where can people find you out in the wild? Yeah, an easy place to start is Twitter. Come find me on Twitter. David John Butler is my handle. Or if you want... Uh, davidjohnbutler.com, John with an H, uh, David John Butler. From either of those places, you can get to my mailing list. You can email me personally. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. And don't forget to go follow him on Amazon, like and review. Uh, it really helps uh, our authors out uh, when you do that. Uh, what about um, uh, out in the world with uh, uh, conventions and things like that? Where can people see you there? I'm reasonably active, not as not as much as I used to be. I, there was a year I went to over 20 events, uh, but uh, still upcoming in 2023. So I just did uh, Liberty Con and a new event in Utah called Writers Cantina. Uh, mm-hmm. Dragon Con is next. Uh, there is a um, writers workshop being organized in November called the Evanston might be called the Evanston Writers Workshop, something like that, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. If you Google Evanston Writing Workshop Chicago, I think their still-under-construction website will come up, uh, and you'll see me listed. Um, uh, I think those are the two things I currently have uh, committed uh, for the next of the year, uh, rest of the year. Um, but uh, I, I typically do you know, five or six events a year, and again... So you maybe can't tell this from the video, but I'm six and a half feet tall. I usually wear surprising hats like tricorns or mm-hmm. badger pelts. I'm very easy to find. Uh, very, very, very approachable. Come talk to me. Happy to talk to you about whatever. Where unlike me, I tend to blend in with the furniture as short as I am. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, well, thank you again, everyone. It is, uh, the book is uh, Between Princesses and Other uh, Jobs. Uh, 
It's out on hardback. It's out on EPUB. Go check it out. But it's a great read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, it's going to make me go uh, read book one. Uh, so go check it out. And uh, thanks to uh, Bain for letting me host today. And thank you, sir, for uh, letting me talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk in the future. But for now, uh, that is it. Until next time, uh, good night. Thanks, Jeremy. And now we bring you our audiobook serialization of Tinker by Wynne Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near-future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the elven court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. Oil Can shook his head. The sink only has about two hours of power left. How's Windwolf? At the moment, holding steady. Lane says that he's likely to worsen, though, once the power gives out. Then they couldn't stay at Lane's. Magic wasn't like electricity. You didn't flip a switch and get current flooding the power lines. Instead, like a gentle rain after a drought, magic would need to saturate the area and soak in deep until the depleted earth couldn't hold anymore and then form usable runoff. Even after startup, it would take hours before the ambient level of magic in Pittsburgh would be where anyone could do a healing spell and expect it to work. Tinker checked to see if she still had the cancel spell printout, and then levered herself out of the chair. We should be sitting at the rim nearest to the hospice at startup. Windwolf woke as they prepared to move him back to the truck, blinking in confusion. Lie still, Tinker said to him, and repeated it in low elvish. Ah, my little savage, Windwolf murmured, lifting his good hand to her. What now? We're running out of time, which is unfortunately common for us humans. Tinker squeezed his hand in what she hoped was a reassuring manner. Does life go by so quickly then? Yes, Tinker said, thinking of leaving Pittsburgh in a few months and already regretting her promise to Lane. It must be nice, having all the time to do all the things you want to do. He turned his head and looked out the window. There is a graveyard on that hill. I see them all the time here in your city. We do not have them. We do not die in such numbers. But it never truly struck me as to what these graveyards meant until now. All around you, the churches and the graveyards, death constantly stands beside you. I don't know how you tolerate the horror. It scared her to hear him talking about death. I'll get you to a hospice at startup, she promised. But you'll have to hang in there until then. Hang in? He looked mystified by the English slang. Keep fighting. Life is a marvelous adventure, he whispered, and I wish not to end it now.
especially now that things have gotten even more interesting. They eased back down Riverview Road and through the maze of side streets to Ohio River Boulevard. There, the traffic snarled into knots as people fleeing the city collided with those trying to get back in. It took them an hour to travel the two or three miles to the first major split in the road. The night was sweltering, as only July in Pittsburgh could be. They rode with the windows down, and in the mostly stopped traffic, those without air conditioning got out and stood waiting outside their cars for the chance to crawl ahead. There's Nathan's 20-car accident, oil can indicated a score of wrecked cars and trucks sitting under the floodlights of the stadium parking lot. It wasn't difficult to guess which vehicle had been involved in the fatality. A red vehicle, make unrecognizable, sat to one side, smashed into an accordion two feet tall. How do you suppose they manage that in this type of traffic? One of the semis lost its load. Tinker pointed out the haphazardly loaded trailer. It must have landed on the minivan beside it. The parking lot's entrances, she noticed, had Earth Interdimensional Agency barricades up and police tape strung at chest height about the cars created an imaginary fence. Looks like someone got caught smuggling in the deal. Judging by the amount of police tape and number of armed men, the EIA, the international agency in charge of almost everything in Pittsburgh, even vaguely related to the elves, had stumbled onto a large illegal shipment. There were three tractor-trailer trucks, a dozen large rider and U-Haul box trucks, four pickup trucks, and the squashed car, any of which could have been the smuggler's vehicle. Unless they had been part of a convoy, it seemed strange that the EIA had impounded the whole lot. That Peterbilt is nearly new. The traffic opened up for a few hundred feet. Oil can grunted slightly as he put in the clutch in order to shift out of first gear into second gear. The clutch in the flatbed, an ancient 2010 Ford F-750, was stiff. Tinker nearly had to stand on it to shift when she drove. It wouldn't take much to get it back to running. Tinker drooled at it for a minute. Yeah, but unless it's the smuggling vehicle, and thus no one is willing to claim it, someone will have already made arrangements to get their truck back next shutdown. One can dream. Oil can grunted through another shift back down to first as they dropped to a crawl. Speaking of next shutdown, I told Lane that I'd go to CMU for a term. You're kidding. He looked at her as if she had suddenly transformed into something slightly repulsive and totally unexpected, like one of those ugly pug dogs. It'll only be 90 days, and I'd get a chance to see what Earth is like. I've lived there. Oil can point it out. Everything is too big. You can spend all day looking at thousands of people and not see a single person that you know. They eased up onto the Fort Duquesne Bridge. Below them, barges choked the Ohio, the Allegheny, and the Monongahela rivers. It seemed possible to walk from one shore to the other without touching water. It happened every time Pittsburgh returned to Earth, trade goods coming and going by land, water, and air. She didn't want to think about living someplace this crowded all the time. You're not helping, she said. It's another world, Tinker. If you don't like it, you'll be stuck and miserable. Maybe I'll like it, he shrugged. Maybe, 
I don't think so. You hate having someone telling you what to do. Think about it. You're going for classes. You've never been to a regular school. Classes start exactly at 8 a.m. Bang. A bell rings and you have to be sitting in your seat, quiet, facing forward. And you sit there, without talking, for hours, while you study what the teacher wants you to learn. Maybe college is different. Lane seems to think it's a good idea. And Lane likes to putter around in the garden planting flowers. You tried that once. Remember how crazy it drove you? I already told Lane yes. He scowled at her and then focused on getting through the city. Downtown, despite it being almost ten o'clock, was filled with activity. Stores were sorting hastily delivered goods, preparing for the startup rush. Once the stores sold out, there would be no more until next shutdown. Fall fashions were appearing in the windows. Anyone who didn't buy early might be facing the Pittsburgh winter without gloves and sweaters. The delivery drivers who were still trying to get home to Earth were few and easily identified. They leaned on their horns, they cursed out their windows, and they disobeyed all laws of man, elf, and common sense in their rush. Watch, 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 Tinker shouted, bracing herself as one such idiot cut them off. It was a small, rabid pickup truck streaking through a recently changed red light with horn blasting. At the last moment, it recognized that the flatbed outweighed it by three times and veered sharply to avoid them. Only a motorcyclist was in the way. A normal man would have died. The motorcyclist responded with inhuman speed and strength, wrenching his bike out of the pickup's way. Is he an elf? Oil Can asked as he responded to the blare of horns behind him and drove on through the intersection. Tinker leaned out to look back. Strangely, instead of focusing on the pickup truck that nearly hit him, the motorcyclist was watching the flatbed drive away. He was far too homely to be one of the Fae. Under a wild thatch of black hair, he was long-nosed and sharp-featured. Nah, just lucky, Tinker said, and scrambled through the back window to check on Windwolf. That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judgowitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to DJ Butler, and welcome aboard to Jeremy Como. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>